humanitarian. Every single humanitarian I know agrees that we must become more accountable and more responsive to the populations we serve. The issue of accountability to affected populations has been a central theme for the sector for years. It was central in the 2016 World Humanitarian Summit in Istanbul. It features centrally in the grand bargain that came out of that summit. Over the past years, massive investments have been made in this area. Staff has been hired, frameworks and guidelines have been set up, complaints mechanisms are established in most major operations today. And so the million-dollar question is, has it made a difference? Are we actually getting better at listening to our customers and are our customers happier? One of the best persons to answer those questions is Nick van Praag. Nick started Ground Truth Solutions in 2012, and since then that organization has published perception surveys providing a feedback loop for humanitarian actors. I sit down with Nick to discuss where are we today, do you see progress, and where are we going in the future. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Nick van Praag, welcome to True Humanitarian. Thanks, great to be here. You're best known as the founder of Ground Truth Solutions that has done excellent work over the past eight years. Why don't we begin by you telling us a bit about what is Ground Truth Solutions and, and what is it that you do? Ground Truth Solutions is part of the sort of accountability architecture, if you like, in the humanitarian space. And when we were established, the idea was to try and bring the perspective of people affected by humanitarian crises to the fore in the way programs are designed and how they're implemented. Um, it sounds like quite an obvious thing to do, but it's, it's not something that takes place on a regular basis, even today. Um, our goal was to try and find a practical means to do that. Um, and our sense was the fact that there wasn't some kind of a mechanism that allowed that to happen in a fairly um, pain-free way for the organizations running the programs meant that it wasn't happening, happening as it ought to. I should just add, that we also saw uh, accountability to affected people as a uh, lever to bring about change in the humanitarian system. We felt that if one could hear the perspective of people who are supposed to benefit from humanitarian action um, and one responded to it, uh, then uh, programming would be more effective, it would be more efficient, it would be able to provide greater value for money, uh, it, and it would begin to, to, to shift the way the system operated. Maybe walk us through concretely what it is you do. So let's take a context that you have worked in. How, how do you come in and what, what do you actually do? What we do is um, work either with individual organizations helping them develop the capacity uh, to elicit feedback from people who are affected by crises, um, to analyze that feedback, uh, to relate it to the programs that they either have in place or plan to put in place, and to get back to the communities uh, they um, gather the feedback from, tell them what they've learned, uh, indicate how they might be able to improve things so that their uh, views improve, their perspective of the performance of the organizations improved, and then uh, for those organizations to undertake course corrections. And then to go back 
uh, to these same communities and continue to ask them questions over a period of time so you get trend data and you're able to work out whether the actions that are being taken are actually making a difference. We worked a lot with individual organisations at the very beginning. Now, most of our work is at the collective level, looking at how effectively the overarching response is working. And, and, and to do that in the same way, to take a representative um, sample across a humanitarian response, uh, track the way they see that response, uh, and work with organisations uh, responsible for its implementation um, to respond and become more responsive as a result as organisations to the views and needs of the people they set out to help. So if I hear you correctly, your theory of change is we go out and ask people what they actually think. We then make that data available to the humanitarian community and therefore they change their behavior and we get a more adaptive, more appropriate response. Is that, is that a fair recap? I think that's a fair recap of where we were at the very beginning. Um, our theory of change was exactly that. You, you gather the data, organizations are having trouble doing that, we'll do it for them, they will then see the light and they will respond to it. Um, and it would trigger action on its own. This feedback would trigger action uh, of itself. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And people um, thought it was interesting, but didn't necessarily take it into account in the way they took decisions. So how did you pick up that it didn't change anything? What showed you that, it, that nothing was changing? We have a mechanism built into what we do, which gives us pretty clear insight as to whether anything is changing. Because we go back to the communities and ask them very similar questions uh, or the same questions in many instances. So we can track over time the trend data and see whether people feel better informed, whether they sense that their ability to participate in decision making is improving, um, whether they know about um, complaint mechanisms and are uh, willing to use them, uh, whether they feel more empowered, whether life is getting better or worse. So we can track these things and our sense was, based on our uh, initial um, interventions, that actually not much was changing over time. And so then we began to think, well, what else can we do? So we thought what we need to do is we need to visualize the data in more compelling terms. Um, we need to develop uh, a narrative that, that, that seizes the reader uh, in a way that they uh, engage with the data and start to make changes. And that had a sort of moderate, um, um, uh, moderate success. It was a sort of move away from a kind of dry statistical uh, approach. But um, we then began to sort of work with donors and push them uh, to require their grantees um, to both demonstrate that they seek out the perspective of affected people and use it. One thing is to seek out the perspective and the other thing is actually to do something about it. Um, donors are the market, as you know, for humanitarian services. They are the um, people who pay uh, the, the, the pay for, for, for humanitarian action. And um, generally, uh, organizations pay attention uh, to their demands. So the evolution you describe is basically from, from data collection to reflecting on visualization, how easy it is to use your, your products, to then more of an advocacy role in front of the donors saying, hey, we need to change this. 
Exactly. So then we, I mean, these are, as I say, these are people who are running humanitarian programs tend to listen to donors because they are the ones who provide the wherewithal for them to be able to continue their activities. But will they continue to listen to you and work with you if, you, if they know you engage with the donors and go tell them what's happening? Our experience has been that they, 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 they do continue to engage with us. Um, and I think that the, 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 the kinds of um, requirements that donors have placed have been useful uh, in, in keeping these issues to the fore and the, the sort of the, the, the paramountcy of being accountable to affected people. The problem is that the kind of response from a lot of humanitarian actors has been to put in place kind of accountability frameworks and, um, um, and, and, and gadgets of that kind. Um, which actually don't lead um, to, 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 to real change on the ground. And, and, and again, um, the ability of, of, of some kind of supply-side accountability framework to actually make a difference in the lives of people um, is not assured. So you said you, you started adopting, sorry, you started adapting your theory of change when you saw a flatline in terms of, of the trends. Is that different now? So, the, the, in other words, the, the, the things you learned and the way you changed your work, has that given you better results? Can you actually pick that up in the data? Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen in certain instances um, changes taking place as a result of, of, of organizations taking the feedback and acting upon it. I give you an example. Uh, we did some work a few months ago in northeastern Nigeria uh, with the cash uh, consortium there. And I think it was something like 89% of people who were um, potential recipients of cash uh, didn't understand how the selection process worked. And the people who ran, who run that cash program were obviously a little concerned by this and they have um, now redoubled their efforts to make sure that people understand more clearly uh, what the selection criteria are. And in our, in our next round of data collection, we'll see whether or not they do feel indeed better informed about the way that works. But if I can challenge you, so AAP, uh, Accountability to Affected Populations, has been very high on the policy agenda since basically since the World Humanitarian Summit and the Grand Bargain. A lot of effort has gone into it. What have we achieved? If you, if you had to just, in two or three points, recap what has been achieved with all the work that has gone into this area for the past years, what, what would you say they are? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is that there is a recognition that it's really important to be accountable to people. So that's the sort of the, 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 the acceptance of that it is, is really important. And I don't think that's going to let up anytime soon. And there is a recognition that while on, at the rhetorical level one's made progress, operationally it, do, it hasn't really gotten traction yet. So I think that that's, you know, at, at once a sort of a, a, a good development, but you know, the, the limitations of that development uh, are pretty clear. So I think that that's important. I think there's a much greater effort on the part of organizations such as Ground Truth Solutions to work with others in the accountability space. And of course, we're not alone. There are many other organizations who are pushing for greater accountability, both independent organizations like ours, but also people who have accountability in their job title within organizations. And I think there's a sort of potential there uh, for these, these, these individuals and organizations to come together. 
I think we've seen a lot of progress on the communicating with communities front, recognition that people above all else almost need to understand what is being done on their behalf and how they can access services that are being provided in the context of humanitarian emergencies. So I think there's, there, there, there are these coalitions of action which are, which are establishing themselves. There's a great deal more resources being put into it. I think donors are really uh, keen to see further movement on this. So I think you know, we haven't, we haven't you know, shifted the needle to the other side of the dial yet, but we've got some of the building blocks in place and I guess that's a good thing. The important thing to do now is having established a bridgehead to continue and, 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 and really push this agenda forward. So how do we make it transformational? How do we make sure that in our business, the customer is king? Uh, it's extremely hard. Um, the, the, the humanitarian system is kind of messy. It's loosely controlled. It's, um, it, it's full of diverse actors with individual agendas and and, and, and many degrees of freedom to do what they want. So the idea of holding that kind of rabble uh, accountable uh, is extremely difficult. Um, and I don't think we found the Holy Grail yet, but I think we are making progress. One of the things uh, that we are most excited about is to try and link people's perceptions of humanitarian action with the objectives that the humanitarian actors have set themselves. Um, I remember when we began working in Chad about three years ago, the Swedish government who supported our work there, uh, collecting feedback from affected people in that country, said, you know, the only way you're going to be able to make a difference is to embed yourself in the architecture of the response. And and, and, and what they meant by the architectural response was sort of find a docking station within the system which will allow you to transmit and translate uh, the data that you acquire and the analysis that you put behind it uh, into the system. But in fact, that's not enough. And what we've discovered uh, in Chad, and we've, we've now replicated this in a number of other humanitarian responses, is to work with the humanitarian country team and develop metrics around people's perceptions of the success that the humanitarian actors are having uh, realizing their goals. And, if, and that really is embedding um, people's perceptions and people's perspective in the architecture of the system, because it's not a nice to have, it's something that um, the humanitarian actors actually need to be able to demonstrate that they're making a difference. Uh, again, um, there's a tendency there to pick indicators that are perhaps easier um, to, to and, and targets that are easier to, to meet. Um, and one has to be very careful that accountability to affected people doesn't just boil down to are people properly informed? Do they know how to make complaints? The kind of lumpen form of accountability. What we need is to make sure that refugees, displaced people, others affected by crisis, actually their perspective is actually sought and valued in relation to every aspect of the response. And there's a real danger that one reduces it to some kind of de minimis approach to accountability, which won't make a difference. This very sort of consulting, engaging approach you have with the humanitarian country team, going in, working technically with them, getting better indicators, really helping the system as such to perform better in this area. 
Do you sometimes think that maybe you'll have more of an impact if you were more independent? If you were simply uh, ground, through, ground truth with no borders sort of an approach, uh, coming out and just shining lights of things independently of what the main operational actors were saying? You know, I don't think we operate in a vacuum. There's no way we can make the system more accountable. We're just one player, quite a small player, uh, with important allies. Um, and we can't make the difference on our own. The only way that we will make a difference is if we, um, is if we provide um, a service, and I don't want to sound servile, uh, a service which is provided independently. We can, we can give an opportunity to organizations running humanitarian programs to understand how people see things. We're not NGO X or UN organization Y going to ask people how well they're doing, because that will not give you very candid responses, and candor is absolutely essential in this field. We are independent, but we do need to work with the organizations who are running these programs, because it's they who need to make the changes uh, to their programs if the perspective that we bring to the surface is going to make a difference. So for the past eight years, you've been, you've been an independent entrepreneur. You've built this organization. How many people are you now? About 25. And a turnover of? 2.5 million euro a year. And you used to work with some of the really big organizations in, in this industry, right? With uh, UNHCR, with uh, the World Bank, so on. How has that been, that shift? How has it helped you build up ground truth that you had to this extensive network and understanding of the mainstream humanitarian organizations? And how is it different now working in this small outfit? Well, uh, it's actually great working for a small organization. I wish I'd done that some time back. I spent, I don't know, 35 years working for large international organizations, which was also great. And I, I, I made many friends and I, I, I learned an enormous amount. And I think one of, the, uh, one of the assets that I bring to this small organization is the fact that I do know quite a lot of people who are engaged in all these activities. I also understand the frustrations that they face uh, in doing what they would like to be doing. And I know how much time is taken up with the sort of bureaucratic pursuits when people would be prefer, much prefer to be getting on with, the, 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 with dealing with the realities on the ground. So I kind of understand the perspective of practitioners in both the development and the humanitarian spaces. And uh, so I have an enormous, you know, I have enormous uh, sympathy uh, for the predicament that they face. I also recognize that these people who work in these organizations need the sort of pressure that organizations like mine and like ACAPS and like many others in our space uh, can provide. And um, it sort of takes a family, as Hillary Clinton said in the title of her book many years ago, it takes many players uh, to make a difference. And, and, and certainly accountability to affected people is not a solo act. You need many players to come together uh, to make a difference. And I think that having had that experience working for these large organizations has really helped me understand um, what a challenge that is. And it's also persuaded me that perhaps the single most effective lever is to bring this perspective of the people um, into the equation and use that as a lever, not, not a battering ram, but as a lever. And that's what we are trying to do. When you work with information provision, sometimes it, your, your impact is through the agency of others. 
So if decision makers behave differently, you have had an impact. If they don't change anything, uh, nothing happens. That can be an incredibly difficult situation to be in as an organization because you don't have clear metrics of the impact. Could you just talk us through how do you and your colleagues think about impact and and when do you know that you're getting there and, and what are you just wondering about in terms of are we making a difference at all? Well, I, I think, you know, one can look at it in, in, in different ways. One can look at, you know, the, the amount of attention that's paid to, to issues related to participation now across the humanitarian space. So there is clearly a recognition that this is an important area. And that, I think, is sort of, you can verify that in speeches made by, you know, heads of organizations in, in you know, foreign ministers' discourses in the General Assembly and so on. Absolutely. We know we, we, know we have a problem. But does that change the reality for crisis-affected populations? Does it change their reality? I, I, I would say too rarely, um, to be you know, very honest about it. it it's, it's way too easy still to ignore this perspective and um, the one that we bring and, and to make all kinds of excuses as to why it's very difficult to do that in the fog of humanitarian action. And that there are many reasons why you cannot do things. There are also a lot of reasons why you, why you can. And I think that's a really, uh, you know, important uh, recognition. And uh, I mean, we can measure whether or not organizations are taking action. As I was saying earlier, we, we track people's perceptions over time. And that trend data is extremely revealing as to whether anything is happening. But, you know, by the same token, um, how one actually, you know, so we, so we have a metric. It's, it's in our faces all the time. Every round of data we collect gives us a sense of whether or not what we're doing is making a difference. But it makes me, I mean, it, it's extremely, I mean, small organization, along with other people who work on accountability issues, cannot be held responsible. And th this is something that I find quite challenging, actually, which is that, you know, people are always saying, well, what difference is it? What difference does it make what you're doing? Are people, you know, are people responding to the data as if it was my fault they're not responding to the data? Of course, I have a responsibility to try and do my utmost to bring this perspective to bear, to provide the analysis in context and to work with organizations to help them think through what needs to change if people's perceptions are to improve over time in the context of what those organizations are trying to achieve. And so I can do all of those things as I was describing earlier, but I cannot. Uh, I, I think it makes little sense to hold accountability people responsible for whether or not the system is becoming accountable. They are bit players in a much larger drama. So how do we, um, how do we fix the big drama? The big drama is 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 complex, and um, I don't think there are any uh, easy solutions. Um, I think that what we need to see is 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 much greater scrutiny uh, on the part of uh, the donors uh, of what is being done with their resources and in their name, because these are the organisations for the most part. The, these are the the donors are the the are the people the the, the represent. Uh, the entities that govern these organizations. And they need to get much more real about demanding um, effective action. I'll give you an example. Um, humanitarian endeavor at the response level, Somalia, Democratic Republic of Congo, um, 
Uganda, wherever else, Myanmar. There's a humanitarian uh, response plan. Every year there's a humanitarian response plan where the entire humanitarian community comes together to look at what the needs are and what they're going to do about meeting them and they formulate a plan and then they execute it. But these plans are never evaluated. Uh, the objectives they set themselves are never scrutinized. There's no independent verification as to whether anything's happened. By the end of the year-long cycle, which, by the way, isn't enough to achieve anything in these very long, drawn-out, for the most part, crises, but by the time that yearly cycle has come to an end, everybody involved in planning and implementation of humanitarian action is busy um, developing uh, the next year's plan. And what we need to do is to, first of all, extend the period uh, of these planning cycles uh, so that you give organizations some time to really achieve something and to respond to the kind of feedback we and others can provide. But you also need to get serious about saying, well, you said you were going to achieve, you know, you were going to achieve A, B, and C. You know, why did you? And if you did, great. If you didn't, why not? And what could we all do to improve the chances of that happening? So I think that um, you know, there's an enormous amount that needs to be done but it really comes down to this famous um, concept of incentives. And at the moment, the incentives are not tremendously focused on, 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 on making sure that organizations do the best possible job. And what I hear you saying is that you see the donors as the main agents that can change that? I think the donors have a you know, preponderant role in the humanitarian system. And they're not that many of them. Uh, they tend to be sort of Western, including, of course, Japan and Australia, uh, countries uh, fairly like-minded or traditionally have been fairly like-minded. So one would, 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 would see the opportunity there of them coming together behind some of these uh, approaches and really enforcing it. Um, it would be great if more, um, more, more, more countries were involved, if the donor base was enlarged. Uh, for international action, because there's a lot of money being spent by individual countries at the national level, and I don't want to um, play that down. But you know, if, if those countries could come together and really enforce an approach that placed a premium on responding to the views of affected people and making sure that they were doing their utmost to, 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 to meet uh, their demands and their requirements, um, that will go a very long way. I think most international organizations, whether they're UN or, 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 or NGOs, you know, talk a good line on this, uh, and they would you know, clearly, um, I think, appreciate being prodded into doing more. But so long as organizations aren't obliged to do it, um, there are many uh, complications uh, related to humanitarian action, uh, and they will take the easy uh, road rather than the high road. And I think the donors are really, they have a you know, very important um, role to play in making sure they take the right fork in the road and, and head up rather than down. Let me make the counter argument. It's incredibly difficult to work in these contexts we're working in. We as humanitarian organizations don't have a lot of control. Your data, quite frankly, isn't strong enough to really be used for decision-making, so I find it very troubling that you sit here and advocate that the donors should punish us because of whatever your data says. How do you respond to that? That's actually not what I'm saying, because the data that we collect is just an instrument. In fact, collecting data is the relatively easy part of what we do. Um, it's the basis for a conversation. 
And, you know, when you, when you undertake surveys, you always get, um, you know, you, there, there's stuff there uh, when you read through the tea leaves that you don't really understand. And the crucial thing is to use this feedback, not as an absolute metric that's going to um, determine what it is that you or others do next. It's about actually coming together with the organizations, talking through what that data says, trying to understand from their perspective why people see things the way they do, and then going back also to the communities where the data comes from and saying, look, this is what we learned. Did we learn that right? This is what we plan to do. Might this make a difference? It's about a process, and it needs to be an iterative process. It's not a one-off thing. It's not like doing one survey you know, once in a while. It's about actually engaging. And um, if one does that, the data can trigger that process, but it, it shouldn't be the basis for decisions being taken. So, so where would you say that the sort of system you have, you describe now with with uh, collection of data, good conversation both with the communities and the organizations, and you do that over time? Where do you think? Where do you see that working best today? Where, where what's your success case? I think it's interesting in 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 the context of COVID, we've been. Um, we've been collecting quite a lot of data looking at the perspective of people who are affected by pre-existing humanitarian crisis in this new and complicating crisis. crisis. And, and, and there, I think there's a real, we're seeing it in Syria, for instance, one of the more difficult contexts. Um, there's a real appetite on behalf of the, the, the leadership of the humanitarian response operating out of Gaziantep to to understand the perspective of people inside Syria who are affected by, you know, everything that, that can be thrown at them almost literally, and 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 have engaged through sort of uh, community focal points, have engaged to kind of think through the data that we're bringing back from Syria, um, and, and and see how they can respond to it. So I think look, there are many points of light, um, and and there's there's a ton of enthusiasm to take this stuff forward. But there's also a real danger that in the context of COVID, uh, with access challenges, how do you actually go out and meet with these people, which is how you we traditionally collect data face to face. Now we're having to do it remotely. It's kind of complicated uh, with the kind of um, financial challenges the humanitarian system is facing. Um, The the, the 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 general sort of confusion of this kind of period in our in our in our history. There's a real danger now that we 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 don't treat um, uh, COVID as a challenge, but we use this as an excuse not to uh, interact uh, with communities, not to do the due diligence as far as community engagement is concerned. And that is something that really, really worries me, um, that the progress that we've made over the past few years may, um, may be lost if, if we just sort of go back to business as usual because of the complications of the environment in which we operate. So are you worried that, that uh, diminishing funding will hit you hard? Are you worried that uh, ground truth solution will be seen as quote-unquote a luxury? in a time with more constrained budget. So how, how do you think about that? That's not actually something we're seeing in terms of support for our own activities. On the contrary, we've had a lot of interest from some, some really uh, engaged donors to, to, for us to carry our work forward, which is really encouraging. The, 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 the bind comes 
at the level of translating that uh, donor-created momentum into um, action on the ground. And I, I, I just hope that uh, what we see in the current uh, cycle, where at the moment the humanitarian community is, is gearing up to design humanitarian response plans um, for, nine, for 2021. And, and my hope is that these planning processes and the, the plans that emerge uh, will place a significant emphasis on the way ordinary people uh, live uh, the humanitarian experience and it'll be you know there, there will be pressure to push back and um, hopefully the support that we're getting from donors will enable us at least to play our role in that process you you mentioned syria as an example and and if i understood you correctly you're saying it works because there's a lot of commitment from the humanitarian country team so you have champions mm -hmm. in in uh, gaziantep is that is that the key difference between contexts? Is that having that champion? Is it is it individuals driving this across the globe? Or to what extent is it beginning to become institutionalized? If you want, I think that what we, what we're seeing is that kind of organizations in this very loose in, sort of system of humanitarian players, um, there, there are certain uh, behaviors that people adopt because they see other people doing it. Uh, there's a kind of, um, I wouldn't call it a herd mentality, but there's a sort of very healthy approach to seeing what good practice looks like and trying to do something about it. Um, and I think actually um, UN OCHA uh, has brought together a group of, um, of what they consider to be um, some of the more progressive country teams and tried to work with them to ensure that they do these kinds of things. And I, I think that the champions within the system are extremely important. And um, it's really important that they are uh, given the incentives that will then incentivate or incentivize others to follow suit. So it's, it's really important that you have this sort of tache d'huile, whatever it is, this, this, this oil slick phenomenon. Um, you have centers of excellence and then behaviors emerge from those centers of excellence and become uh, adopted practice across the system, hopefully over time. Big question is, how long will that take? And as that community of champions evolve and grow and has more impact, how does that change the role of, of ground truth solutions? Will you continue to be there in the field collecting data? Is that your long-term role? What, what do you see yourself doing in five years? I think we don't, I mean, I don't see ground truth becoming a sort of behemothic uh, humanitarian organization. We are not driven by um, growth. That's not our goal. Our goal is to try and change the humanitarian system and, um, and, and, and to, to, to help it to become more effective, more efficient, and so forth and so on, and more responsive. I think that's the key word. Um, and I don't think that's something that will happen by us getting bigger and bigger and doing more surveys in country after country after country. I think what our role has to be is to prove the concept, is to demonstrate how this can be done, to help organizations 
uh, enhance their own capacity so they can do it themselves. Uh, organizations at the country level can provide independent verification as to the way people see things. And we should then move on to other things. Um, I don't see ourselves you know, becoming rooted in this practice. Uh, I would love us to be able to pass on our experience and our, and our, and our methodology to others and then, and then experiment at the margins of what we're doing and sort of begin to do other things. Give us, give us a flavor of those other things. Well, I think what we're interested in, was a couple of things we're interested in at the moment, but one of the things in particular is to, is to apply the uh, same methodology that we've been developing around humanitarian action in the context of climate change. There's an enormous amount of um, concern, obviously, uh, about the impact of climate change, nowhere greater than in the Sahel, where um, when I first visited Chad in 1981, uh, the Lake Chad area was this incredible sort of water as far as the eye could see. I was back there last year. It's been reduced to 10% of its former surface area. So across the Sahel, the effect of you know, lack of rainfall, incredible heat, etc., etc., is creating absolute havoc. And, 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 and leading, of course, to... Um, enhanced tensions which then lead to conflict which then lead to humanitarian action to try and clear things up after the fact so we're very um, interested in getting involved in programs that relate to climate adaptation adapting to climate change so we're, we're working on developing an approach to do that across the Sahel um, which would bring in a new dimension to planning for adaptation and implementation of of, 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 of adaptation um, endeavors and I think it's, it's kind of interesting because if you look across that region many of the ideas uh, for adapting to these changing climate circumstances come from outside they're kind of technical fixes but there's a ton of indigenous knowledge or traditional knowledge um, that needs to be harnessed and we hope that we can bring that to the fore uh, in, um, in, in, in the way uh, those programs are being implemented. Maybe a last question for you, Nick. So you've done all this great work, and I am such a fan of Ground Truth Solutions, and I think you managed to energize and incredibly, maybe one of the, it's one of the central debates we have is how can we become, how can we make ourselves more accountable? And you've done a lot of work in terms of laying the foundations, developing the assets for us to, to transform the system, but, but I also hear you saying that it hasn't happened yet. And so if you had one wish, one thing you could change to make sure that this actually transformed us as a, as a system, what would that be? What would that one thing be that would change the way we are, that would change the way we are accountable to the people we serve? I think, you know, I don't have a simple answer to that question. There's not one thing that one needs to do. I think... You know, as I was saying, accountability players like us and like others um, have a role to play. But, you know, responsibility uh, must be collective and um, should include all those with the power, the resources and the rationale to make a difference. And um, if they do, uh, I think people who are affected by these crises will be a step closer to having a say in the way uh, decisions are taken uh, on their behalf. So I think, I guess, the one thing I would like to see would be a recognition of this broader responsibility for accountability and um, steps taken uh, to, to make that a reality.
Thank you very much. Thank you. The freedom to be for people to choose their path in life and dream. Souls of men beyond what you see. Stages are different for each who will lead. Cycles of outsiders that get fat checks, fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets. Ask better questions, pick apart, educate. And no one is safe, we're here to build and debate. We are, we are searching for more. Open up your mind beyond rich or poor for the truth. You've been warned to humanitarian. <laughs>